This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everybody. Wow, what a wild wind last night, hey? It blew. But Dave, the wind that we saw here, nothing compared to over on the West Coast, of course, in the Rec House area. We get a lot of heavy, heavy winds there. It's well known, hence the name. Um, But uh, yeah, it really blew last night. Starting to get some reports now of some damage in a number of areas. Uh, For instance, uh, Corner Brook and uh, Grand Falls, Windsor, I know for certain. So uh, stay safe out there. If you happen to notice something loose and hanging like I did today, uh, notice a light loose and hanging um, in the metro region at a busy intersection. Um, You know, report it if you can to officials and try to stay clear of it because you never know when that might come loose. Well, tomorrow is Data Privacy Day, a time to help create awareness about the importance of privacy and the protection of personal information. Our data, arguably, is the most coveted, valuable, and marketable information available with companies trying to find ways to gather as much information as possible to market to us individually. Social media has made that job much easier, of course, with algorithms collecting every login, like, and view in an effort to fine-tune marketing and present you with the products and services that you appear to already be interested in. Well, separately, governments and government agencies also collect data on us for usually specific and necessary purposes. Occasionally, though, that information collected by both commercial and government interests is misused or is the subject uh, of uh, theft from criminal elements in society. Well, we often take the amount of data collected on us for granted, but how far is too far when it comes to the collection of data? And how do we know when a government agency or commercial interest has collected too much? What are they doing with our personal information? And are you okay with it? Well, my guest today on On Target is Provincial Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. Hello. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me on on Data Privacy Eve. I don't know that all the children are nestled in their beds with care, but uh, for us privacy professionals, uh, Data Privacy Day, and I guess Data Privacy Eve, now that it falls on a Friday, is a day that we we dedicate to uh, you know paying special attention to something that we pay special attention to all year long. And it's pretty important, which I'm sure we're going to get into now in a few minutes. But what is Data Privacy Day all about? So Data Privacy Day has been recognized uh, in uh, Canada now for uh, a number of years. It was uh, um, originally recognized in Europe as Data Protection Day. Uh, And uh, privacy, uh, I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily identify it as one of those uh, rights uh, that uh, that they will point to, like the freedom of expression or so on. But the the Supreme Court of Canada has identified privacy as a uh, as a right uh, protected by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in this country. And uh, and indeed, I would argue, and many of us argue that uh, it's almost I, I sometimes call it a proto right or an underlying right. Uh, privacy and or our ability, and we define it, I think a lot some somewhat differently than than I think a uh, a layperson might, but um, you know, we think about privacy as your ability to control your information, not just keep it protected from someone, but the the ability to control information.
information about yourself. And so to us, that's linked to your autonomy and dignity as an individual. And, and for us, that underlies uh, all of your, our ability to, to operate as individuals in this society. And so it, it is a foundation for all of our political rights uh, in this democracy. Uh, that's how uh, privacy professionals uh, around the world tend to think of, of privacy. And so today is a day that we, we think about that as, uh, as privacy is a right, and we think about the ways in which we need to be very vigilant about how, um, uh, about how it's exercised in, in our society. You know, as you as you suggested, uh, now is the time that we need to be all the more uh, vigilant and careful and thoughtful about privacy because we're we're right in the midst of what you what you can call what some some have called the third economic revolution uh, in in human history. Um, you know, the agricultural revolution of thousands of years ago uh, preceded the industrial revolution of a few hundred years ago, and now we're in the midst of the information revolution. Um, and uh, in this information revolution, uh, data and personal information is the currency uh, of the information revolution. The biggest countries or the biggest companies uh, in the world uh, have their business models are based upon the collection and use of information. Uh, and uh, and increasingly, as you as you said at the outset, Linda, our public bodies are very interested in uh, in collecting and using uh, this information. This isn't to say that this is being done for nefarious purposes. I mean, you know, companies have this as their business model because they want to provide uh, goods and services that, that we as consumers demand. And similarly, public bodies want to collect and use and disclose uh, information about us because we we want them to provide public goods and services. But uh, we need to be very mindful about how our personal information is collected and used to make sure that, that it is to our benefit and we don't end up being uh, the, the subjects of, uh, of control by companies or, or public bodies. Do people have a good understanding about what's collected from them or about them and why? Uh, I don't think so, and I don't mean to be condescending in saying that. I mean, I, I don't think that I myself, uh, you know, as a privacy professional, really understand and know all of the information that's collected about me, because I don't think it's possible to do it. Uh, you know, one one example has to do with um, with consent. So our laws are largely based upon uh, the privacy laws in this country, in this province, uh, and elsewhere are largely based on consent. They've been so for for some time now, since they've existed. The idea that that if uh, if information about me is to be collected and used, uh, it is to be uh, done with my consent. And so that's really been the model that's informed uh, how companies and public bodies proceed with most of the information collection and use that they do. Everybody will be familiar with all the different consents that they need to uh, review and, and approve before they can access many different types of services, whether in the physical world or, or online. Um, and so the, the point is, uh, I think there was, a, there was a study once done that said that if you were to read all of these studies, that's all you would be able to do because so many of these uh, different consent forms are so long and, and technical that, that, that it's impossible. It's, it's physically impossible 
for an average person to be able to read all of the consent documents that they end up approving. You know, most of us, um, you know, give it a, at best a cursory glance, uh, but many people just kind of click through. And so my point here is that um, it's, I, I don't think that people uh, understand uh, and I don't think it's reasonable for us to expect people to uh, to understand all of the information that's collected uh, about them, uh, to put the onus on, on the individual to understand this. It's really a very significant onus because the extent of information collected is, is so broad. But that does raise the question of, well, well, then what? So if we can't, if it, if it is not only reasonable but impossible for individuals to understand all the information that's being collected about them or, or to consent about them, then, then what are we to do? Does that just leave us, uh, you know, um, uh, to, to surrender? Uh, our answer is no. Our answer and the answer of many other pro uh, privacy professionals is that restrictions need to be put in place in law and enforced about, um, uh, you know, and not just based on consent, uh, about what companies and public bodies can do in terms of collection and, uh, and use and disclosure of personal information. And I want to talk to you about uh, two uh, very high profile and troubling. One uh, revealed yesterday through the Federal Privacy Commissioner in a new report. Um, when we come back after the break, our guest today on On Target is Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Our guest today on On Target is Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey, and tomorrow is Data Privacy Day. And Michael, we saw the case a short while ago about the information being collected from Tim Hortons customers who had downloaded the Tim's app. It, it turned out that the company was able to track a person's activities well beyond their trip through the drive through So what was the concern there? Well, the concern was that um, Tim Hortons was collecting uh, huge amounts of information. I should say, by the way, that this is was not an, uh, an investigation that I was involved in. It's not um, Tim Hortons as a private company is not within uh, the jur my jurisdiction, uh, oversight jurisdiction under ATIPA or or FIA. It is a private the the privacy controls of. Um, uh, private companies in this province are subject to oversight of the federal uh, office of the privacy commissioner, and so it was uh, them that did this um, uh, that, that did this investigation. But it, it determined that um, that Tim Hortons was engaged in dramatic over collection of information uh, and and uh, overuse of information to uh, to track. Um, uh, customers, uh, where they went, um, in a, on a very granular level, uh, where they went, you know, when they would walk by a Tim Hortons, uh, that kind of thing, a geolocation type of data, uh, and without, uh, without their consent or without any kind of legitimacy for the, the use of this information. So a very dramatically broad over collection of information. Um, and, uh, and so that was a concern in, in that regard. And so they got wrapped on the knuckles there. But some people might say, well, you know, the solution is simple. Just don't use an app. However, uh, the big story that's uh, getting headlines now in the last 24 hours or so is, is Home Depot is now facing the ire of the federal privacy commissioner, Philippe Dufresne, who found that the company was sharing details from electronic receipts with Meta. That's the Facebook business platform without the knowledge or consent of customers. Is that a common practice? 
Well, I mean, we don't. I don't think we know what um, exactly how common it is. And again, I don't know all the details of that investigation because, you know, it, again, it's not. We're not a party to it, so we're we only are are finding out about it now, um, along with everybody else, because it's not a matter within my jurisdiction. But it's certainly interesting to look at and illustrate some of the points that we made before, uh, or that I, I was making earlier, and that you were commenting on. Uh, the um, in this case, it appears that what Home Depot was doing was. Uh, um, was when a Home Depot customer, so you, you go into Home Depot and you buy something and uh, you can receive an e-receipt, um, which is uh, an electronic receipt. They, they could say, do you want a, a physical copy or do you want your email? Just kinda, uh, you know, Do you want your receipt emailed to you? And when they were doing that and you put in your, your email address, uh, then what, they, what Home Depot would be doing would, would uh, share that information and other information with uh, Facebook. Uh, Meta is the parent company now of Facebook, right? And so uh, Meta would use this information for its purposes and what and its purposes, which would uh, include um, uh, not only uh, targeting uh, Home Depot's ads to these customers. Uh, so let's say that you go in and you purchase a power tool at um, at Home Depot, then all of a sudden on your Facebook, uh, you might you might see ads for other power tools. Uh, Facebook might determine, oh, this person is interested in uh, in power tools, so we're gonna we're gonna push more power tools on them. And uh, but more uh, moreover, uh, Meta would also use that information uh, and do some analysis on it, and might make decisions about other stuff. You might say, well, this person likes power tools, and maybe they also like uh, work gloves uh, sold by, you know, uh, Mark's Work Warehouse. And then you get ads for that, too. And you haven't consented to any of this. And and the concern here is uh, that uh, this profiling and targeting of information based on information collected about you without consent, it puts you in a world where the inputs you get that help influence your decision-making are based on information that's collected about you and they influence what you do and you don't really know anything about it. And so the concern here is that we're, we're being treated just kind of like puppets, right? And we're being nudged around to do this and nudged to do that. And we don't really have autonomy over, uh, our, uh, uh, over our, uh, you know, decisions. I mean, it's certainly helpful. I mean, ever, there's something wrong, inherently wrong with advertising. Advertising is good. It, it provides us with information about goods and services that we might like to uh, provide. But if we're subject to specially selected information based about inferences that people make about us, then that uh, crosses the line from informing us to manipulating us. Now, here it seems that what what Home Depot was doing so what, what the Office of the Privacy Commissioner found was that there was inadequate consent, and Home Depot w was apparently relying on some form, uh, some notice on its website uh, about this, uh, where really what the Office of the Privacy Commissioner said was that uh, if you're going to be sharing information like this, you need opt-in consent. You need to ask. And people, I think, will be familiar with this sometimes when they you'll see a check, a little box uh, where they say, you know, do you opt in to the use of this information for marketing? And the boxes, by default, it should be unchecked, right? So if you want that information to be shared, if you want these marketing emails, then you have to actively select it. But otherwise, it should be left blank. And what um, uh, 
what Home Depot was doing was it was relying on this passive consent. I mean, you had to be going around and looking into the privacy policies on Home Depot's website to see if indeed uh, what its consent policy was. And this is inadequate. So this is one of the reasons why we say that our consent model uh, in this um, uh, in this jurisdiction is is broken, and a consent model in many jurisdictions is is broken. We shouldn't have to all be detectives and lawyers uh, and go around uh, trying to uh, trying to assess consent policy, dig out and obsess consent policies in order to do relatively basic things like shop at Home Depot and get an electronic receipt. You know, and it, it, certainly, I mean, you can say, well, you don't have to drink coffee at Tim Hortons. You don't have to buy power tools at Home Depot. Uh, you don't have to have electronic receipts. But I mean, you know, these aren't real, realistic choices. I mean, we should be free uh, in our society to access the goods and services that are available to everyone else in society without having to trade for that our personal information and make ourselves subject to manipulation. And it begs the question, if uh, one company is doing it, uh, clearly they can't be the outliers. There have to be other companies who are similarly doing it. And um, is our legislation adequate enough to address these things, or are we only just playing catch-up? Well, there is a new bill. We certainly are playing catch-up. There is a new bill before the federal parliament in this regard. Uh, now it's called C-11. And um, uh, this bill is, is being uh, being considered, and it would... Uh, move the country closer to the the standard for private sector privacy protections that has largely been set by the European Union in the uh, GDPR, the General Directive on, on Privacy uh, in in Europe. And there is also a slightly different, or not slightly, but a different model of privacy protection in place in California, called the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act, and uh, there's emerging privacy legislation in, in other jurisdictions. Um, there's talk about privacy reform in, in Ontario, and there's been privacy reform in Quebec as well at the private at the private sector. So there are, you know, Canada is a bit behind, um, but the current federal legislation uh, is uh, is moving in, in I think, the right direction. I think that uh, I won't comment in a lot of detail on that because I think really it's my federal colleague who who is the one who is best placed to comment on that more, more broadly. But I, I will say that the sense is that it's heading in the right direction and it will uh, while maintaining the consent model uh, for certain types of situations, um, it will also uh, put restrictions uh, on uh, situations in which the context is not right for consent to be the model, uh, and uh, and businesses will be required to uh, essentially only collect, use, and disclose information where there are truly legitimate purposes. When we come af- back after the break, I, I'm going to ask you about what sort of data is typically collected from a person that we know of anyway, and uh, how far is too far. When we come back after the break, our guest today on On Target, and this is Data Privacy Eve. <laughs> uh, tomorrow's Data Privacy Day. Our guest today is Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. Tomorrow is Data Privacy Day. And uh, Michael, what kind of data is typically collected from a person and how far is too far? 
So the data collected about a person will really depend on what it's being used for if it's done lawfully. And so how far is too far must be assessed based upon the context in every question. And so the answer of how far is too far really depends on the answers to uh, to the pri- these privacy principles. And, and so I think this is a good opportunity to review uh, these 10 privacy principles that are, and I won't go in depth in all 10. I mean, we only have so much time, uh, but I, I do want to touch on a few of them. But these 10 privacy principles are entrenched in federal law uh, in, in PIPEDA, which is the, the current law in the books related to this. Um, but also they, they form the foundation for privacy laws across this country and are internationally recognized. So I just want to touch on a few of them that are really important. Um, the first of all, the first one is that an organization, so whichever organization, if we're talking about legislation that governs private companies, then uh, we're talking about private companies. We're talking about, you know, our ATIPA here in Newfoundland Labrador that governs uh, public bodies in this province, and that's what we're talking about. But whatever organization is doing the collection needs to be accountable for information under its control. And that means by accountable, we mean it must have someone who knows about it and can answer questions about it. A second thing is, uh, is private companies can't just collect information. Private companies, public bodies, nobody can just collect information willy-nilly. They private companies, um, now there are some exceptions, I'm going to return to this in a second, um, because there are gaps in the legislation. But, you know, whether we're talking about Tim Hortons or Home Depot, or we're talking about Eastern Health, or the provincial government, they or a municipal government, they just can't start a new uh, collection, use and disclosure of information. All of that is governed by the law. This is this is kind of news that, a, you know, a public body must have a legal authority and a clear identified purpose for collecting new information. It just can't do it because it might be interested in doing it or it might think that it might be useful. It needs to have a clear identified purpose. Uh, a third principle is, is the one that we've talked about, consent. Uh, consent even though we've talked about how the consent model is broken, we can't discard it altogether, and consent will always remain an important uh, part of our privacy legislation. Another principle, and this is one that's really key, uh, and that can, I think, be counterintuitive, uh, because, and it speaks right to your question of how much is too much, is that the collection should be limited uh, and this is actually the fourth and the fifth principles uh, that that the the law refers to uh, is uh, limiting collection and limiting use. So it's it's very normal uh, for an organization to want to get as much information as possible. Uh, it uh, sometimes uh, it has uh, it will want to collect information because it might uh, be useful in the purpose or uh, that they might find some secondary purpose for it. Uh, but in in fact, uh, what the law says, and important principles here, is that the collection of information should be the minimum necessary. And this is something very difficult. So I'm sure that many of your listeners have from time to time been filling out forms, whether it's for insurance or whether it's for uh, to access some public service, where they're ask they're they're asked for all sorts of information, and some of the information is clearly important for them to be getting the service that they need. But other information, why do they need to know that? And certainly, in many investigations that that my colleagues and I have done 
uh, over the years would end up finding out that, well, you know what, that is an over-collection. You're, you, you might think that you need to collect this information, but uh, you might want to collect this, but you don't actually need to collect it for this purpose. This, this, the other, another, you know, logically connected principle here is, if you can deliver the service uh, without, in some other way, without collecting the information, then you should use that alternative. And so the principle here is this minimum use principle. And so, so that's uh, really what's what's most important. That whatever organization we're talking about uh, should uh, should collect and use the minimum amount of information necessary. Uh, and uh, that's often not attractive for companies, particularly in this information age where where the currency is information. But uh, that is a very important safeguard in our legislation. And if people feel that there is a uh, there's an overcollection uh, by a private company, then they have the ability to talk to the office of the privacy commissioner about that. If they feel that there's an overcollection by a public body here in Newfoundland Labrador, then they can come and talk to us about it as an inquiry, or for that matter, they can make a complaint and, and we can investigate it. So when, uh, I mean, how much is too much, as I said, like, you, you know that they're going to need your name. Uh, they're possibly going to need some kind of contact information, i.e. your address or a phone number, uh, those kinds of things. I think most people will say, yeah, of course, if you need to get a hold of me, here I am. Uh, or if you need to send me something, here I am. Uh, but how do you know when you look at something and say, wait a minute, uh, why do they need to know that? Um, are those are those usually the, the red bells or is it, is it outlined anywhere where people can actually reference that and say, oh, okay, they do not need to know this. Yeah, I mean that's where the that's where the the context is really important um, because uh, you really need to look closely at each individual circumstance and and for that and that's where we get to this principle of privacy by design. So a um, so uh, a private whether we're talking about a, a company or whether we're talking about a public body when they're designing their new program or their new service or where, however their collection is going to take place, they really need to be thinking about these principles at the outset. Uh, and, and that's what we call a privacy by design approach, uh, thinking about privacy from the beginning. So that, that uh, don't think about it as an afterthought, uh, don't think about it at the end, um, but, but really design your product in a way uh, from the very beginning so that it, involve, it adheres to these kind of principles, uh, in particular of minimum use. Um, because uh, it is very difficult for me to make a blanket statement and say, um, you know, nobody needs to know your, I don't know, let's say the, your ethnicity. There may be certain legitimate reasons why a public body needs to know your ethnicity when, um, or how you, how you self-identify. Um, there could be very legitimate purposes for that. And there could be legally uh, authorized purposes for that. Um, and it might not be in, you know, really obvious why. And so you might you might read it and you might think, geez, you know, that seems like an that seems like an overcollection. And you might call our office and we might look into it and we might talk to the public body and and they may convince us that you know what this is actually uh, required uh, for our delivery of the service and this is legitimate and and we have the appropriate safeguards around it. 
and then we would consider all those arguments. And uh, but uh, on the other hand, uh, we might consider those arguments and, and find that they uh, um, that they don't really hold, and that it is an overcollection. We recommend that they stop it. So you'd really need, you can't really make blanket statements like you never you never should collect certain types of information, but you always can collect other types of information. Really, it needs to be understood in context. Um, and you're raising an interesting point there because this came up recently, did it not, uh, with the vaccine? Uh, I think one of the questions related to if you wanted the uh, vaccine uh, was had something to do with how do you identify uh, your ethnicity or whatever the case may be. And I think quite a few people probably went, mm, okay. Uh, but um, I know some media had looked into that and found out that there was a legitimate research reason for that, but it wasn't clearly identified. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it would be difficult, I think, for, and this is why the complaint process and the inquiry process and, 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 and our office, uh, you know, we, we, that's why we exist, to ask and answer many of these questions. I should say, you know, um, we often use these terms complaint and investigation, and those those sound like awful strong uh, words and, and terms, and, and it sounds almost like we're some sort of enforcement agency. Uh, you know, overs- we're an oversight entity, and much of what we do on a day-to-day basis involves, you know, phone calls and answering inquiries and, and collaboration and consultation. And most of our investigations are resolved informally. Um, and not to mention the fact that many of the inquiries don't even get to the uh, investigation stage. But it would be very difficult, I think, um, and, and only really exacerbate this kind of com- uh, problem that we have with consent if a department had to explain very clearly at the outset the rationale for every single collection it did. I mean, and so that's why, you know, we we do have the potential for people to really call us and ask inquiries and make complaints and, and we can sort it out. I mean, departments should, I think, do their best to be transparent and public bodies should, and that matter, companies should do... Uh, do their best to be transparent about identifying their their purposes, but uh, you know, in the real world, it's very difficult to be per, uh, to be perfect, and so we all need to work together on this. Are we obligated to provide the information that's being sought from us? Uh, I'm thinking in terms of you know, uh, my doctor's office. I I expect my doctor's office is going to want my my phone number, but I don't expect that the store I just bought a pair of shoes from needs it for any reason whatsoever. So I don't give it to them. Yeah. Um, same thing with Facebook is continuously asking me for a phone number. I'm not giving you my phone number. Um, you know, so we do we how how obligated are we to provide the information, or do we have the right to say uh-uh, I don't. I'm not giving you that. Well, I mean, you got, this speaks for, to the notion of consent, right? So if um, uh, if I say to you, you know, Linda, you need to consent uh, to giving me your information, but if you don't consent, then you're not, then I'm not giving you the service. That's not consent, right? Like that's not true consent. Now, in the private that's sector, strong arming, <laughs> right? That, 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 that's that, that's forcing you to do it, you know. And, and so, in the private sector. You know, you can go. I mean, at least at least you can go and you can get your coffee at Starbucks rather than Tim Hortons, right? In in the private sector, but but this is why consent is is difficult in the uh, in the public sector because if you go in to receive medical service, you want to get a driver's license. Most of the public goods and services you get, there's only one one entity going to give them to you. 
you know, and if we're talking, you know, talking about medical care, you know, some some people would say you're lucky to get it in the first place um, because of uh, because of challenges in the sector. So people are hardly in the position to say no. I don't consent to disclosing that information um, because you know it's it's your receipt of the, the services is conditional upon you giving it, and so for that reason, consent is not the right model, right? And so so your your physician or for that matter, you know, motor vehicle registration should not be trying to use consent as a model to collect that information. They shouldn't be. They should either collect this because they need it and therefore they're legally authorized to do it, or they shouldn't collect it at all, right? They shouldn't give you a false choice of saying that you, you consent to it, because that's not real consent, right? And I'm, I'm with you, though, in, the, in terms of the private sector. When I, uh, when I go in, and, and certainly for, for most stores, unless, I, unless I, want, there's, I have some reason for them to want to keep track of my purchases, uh, you know, there's some stores that have loyalty programs and so on, or there's some stores that will keep my receipts so that if I, if I go back and I want to return something, you know, I don't keep uh, my receipts for every pair of shoes I buy, right? But uh, there's some in, 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 uh, situations in which I have an interest in them keeping some information on me, and I don't mind. But for the most part, I do what you do and say, you know what, uh, they'll, they'll say, okay, can you give me your email address? I'll say, mm, I don't think so. I don't I don't have to do I and then and then they say no but uh, I also know that in many of these in many of these outlets you know the extent to which um the extent to which they they manage to get emails out of people is tracked and and cashier this will be this information will be tracked uh and uh, and form a part of an employee's performance review I, I i know someone who works in retail and and they they're um, the extent to which they're able to gather this information is monitored um which raises another question well, yeah, that's another question, and this certainly uh, employee monitoring is uh, is now a hot topic among privacy professionals. Uh, and again, not not really a matter unless we're talking about employees in the in the public sector, in which case uh, they're governed uh, by ATIPA and FIA. Well, ma- mainly ATIPA um, employee. Um, uh, the extent to which uh, information is collected about employees is is outside of of my jurisdiction, but certainly uh, uh, now uh, this is a hot topic within privacy circles. Uh, the extent to which employees are being monitored and the protections uh, about that. Uh, and it raises some uh, pretty big questions. Uh, so you uh, are governed by the uh, Access to Information and Protection of Privacy Act. And I want to ask you, when we come back after the break, about uh, existing legislation, whether it's robust enough uh, and up-to-date enough when it comes to collection of data and the protection of our privacy. When we come back after this, our guest today on On Target is Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey, and tomorrow is Data Privacy Day. Uh, Michael, is the legislation, existing legislation, robust enough, or for that matter, up to date when it comes to collection of data and protection of privacy? In in this jurisdiction, so with the the privacy legislation that is uh that is uh you know relevant to my mandate is um and I'll speak about uh ATIPA which is the Access to Information Protection Privacy Act that governs the collection use disclosure of uh of information by um 
by public bodies, and here we that means government departments, crown corporations and agencies, and municipalities in the province. So that that's primarily uh, the legislation uh, that I deal with. Uh, the Personal Health Information Act is um, it, that governs the collection, use, disclosure, and your access rights to uh, personal health information that's collected by what we call custodians. And a custodian might be a healthcare provider like your doctor. It might be a regional health authority uh, like Eastern Health. Uh, it might be, you know, workplace or uh, workplace NL. Um, it might be a pharmacy. Uh, so those are the those uh, are subject to my oversight as well. Under uh, so those are the two statutes, ATIPA and FIA. Both of them are under review. Uh, there was a, a 2020 statutory review of a TIPA 2015 that was conducted, and uh, and that report was um, uh, was provided to the Minister of Justice and Public Safety in June. Uh, I will say that after after some time, we have recently been having discussions with them about their intentions to respond. Uh, I can't talk about. That that would reveal confidences uh, if I uh, if I talked about the nature of those discussions. I can, however, talk a little bit about what we advocated for during that statutory review, and so I'll come back to that. As for as for the Personal Health Information Act, that act was subject to statutory review in 2016. And, and there was a review done, and that review, there was a, a report provided uh, to the Minister of Health and Community Services in 2017. Um, the, the department didn't do anything about that and didn't make the, the recommended, uh, any recommended uh, amendments on that. But, and then five years ticked along as well, because the act says it should be reviewed every, every five years. And so, uh, and so on, the, um, on the 31st of December, we heard that another statutory review would be um uh would be conducted and if you remember back in the uh um uh, back in the uh, the fall there was a um, concerns expressed about what was then bill 20 uh to consolidate the regional health authorities and we expressed some privacy concerns about that and and one of the ways that the minister responded was to be saying well you know we're going to deal with some of those questions in the fia review uh and so um and so we're we're waiting to hear now about the progress of that review um, ATIPA, the the Access to Information and Protection Privacy Act, uh, is a is quite a good act. Um, although it, it there are improvements that we recommended on the privacy side, uh, FIA uh, hasn't been amended in a really substantial way since it was created. Um, my authorities under ATIPA uh, to provide oversight are are stronger, um, and I can I can do more things to provide effective oversight under ATIPA than under FIA, which really just provides me the the authority to make recommendations. Uh, and so, really, it is. Uh, it's going to be important, I think, to move forward with amendments to that legislation uh, to help me provide um, the stronger level of oversight for health information that I can for other types of personal information. But let me come back for a minute to, to your question about, you know, uh, about ATIPA and, you know, is there adequate protection? So, you know, we made we made recommendations to the statutory review committee. Uh, back in uh, back in 2020, uh, to you know keep pace with developments in, in particularly in technology. Um, one of them that we we pointed at was artificial intelligence. Uh, so uh, increasingly, um, uh, 
corporations, but you know, to, to the point here, public bodies are interested in using artificial intelligence uh, as part of their programming. And there are privacy concerns, but there are also other types of concerns related to the use of artificial intelligence uh, to make uh, decisions. Um, and the main, the main concern I think that we need to worry about is the fact that when we're talking about artificial intelligence in the public sector context, we're talking about using a computer to help make decisions that affect what, you know, a service that you can or cannot get access to, a public good that you can or cannot get access to. How can you hold a computer accountable? And uh, this is a, this is a real challenge. What if there are ethical concerns? How do you, how do you know how the computer has made its decision? Particularly if we're talking about an artificial intelligence standpoint, you know, we can try to hold the people that programmed the computer uh, accountable, right? Because that's still a human decision. But if we're in an artificial intelligence contact, if the if the computer is learning, then then you can't really hold the human accountable for the decision anymore, right? The decision was actually made by the the information system. And so you, we need to be able to see the algorithm to to hold the algorithm accountable. We need algorithmic transparency. I know this is this is hard. I think for for all of us to get our heads around, and and really it's, we're in the early stages. I think of understanding this. So what we asked the statutory review committee was simply that if any public bodies are doing are you planning to use artificial intelligence in public programs, then they uh, they tell us about it and they do some sort of algorithmic assessment and there are there are tools for this and that they share that algorithmic assessment with us so that we we can look at it and we can know what's happening. So we, we didn't actually recommend a full regulatory framework for AI at this juncture. We just want to start to know really to at this point know what we don't know. Because right now, for all we know, public bodies could be out there putting AIs, uh, AI in systems, and, and they have no obligation to tell us or anybody else about it. And it, so, so it's that's a fascinating field, and I, unfortunately, we're towards the end of the show now. But I, I was, saw a recent uh, documentary out of the United States where uh, a program had been put into place, uh, and it, it the it, its original intent was not what it turned out to be, which was a predictive um, model for who is likely to commit a crime yeah. and was being used by uh, law enforcement agencies. That's terrifying. Yeah, we've also, there's also studies that have demonstrated that artificial intelligence systems are inclined to be racist. Uh, and uh, so you can imagine, and one use case that's being used right now at the federal, at the federal level is uh, they're used in immigration, it's used in immigration screening. So, uh, you know, depending on the use case and the inherent flaws that have been recognized with AI, uh, then this is something to be really concerned about. Another thing that, that privacy people are very concerned about is a collection of biometric data, like facial recognition, uh, about people. There's really sensitive data. And the thing about biometric data, like your, like your facial characteristics, is if I lose my MCP number, then with some hassle I can get a new MCP number. If, I, if my facial information is breached... And that's it. I've only got the one face, right? And I kind of like it. I don't want to get a new one. So um, when and and these databases can be combined and have been combined with AI systems. So 
this is the kind of thing that, that I think to modernize our law, we really need to be uh, getting on top of to keep pace. Other jurisdictions are moving ahead at federal level, at Quebec. Uh, they're moving ahead with modernizing their legislation. So this is what we urged the, um, uh, the statutory review committee about was to, to just start with some small steps so that we could, we could keep pace with the rapidly evolving technology. So that's what certainly we will be looking for, uh, you know, if and when the department introduces amendments into the House uh, about ATIP at 2015. It's a fascinating topic, and I do know that we can go on and on about this, but unfortunately, we're out of time. But tomorrow is Data Privacy Day. You're launching a new video. Where can people get information? Well, they can go to our website, oipc.nl.ca. We also issued a press release. You can get it on the government uh, uh, news release uh, website. Uh, the, the video that we released uh, just has is, is just me uh, with an interpreter, and, and thank you very much to her for doing this with me. We did a similar one for Access back in uh, Right to Know Day, but uh, just talking uh, generally in, in a way that is accessible for uh, people with hearing impairments, but also people with visual impairments. Um, the, to to talk a, a bit about your uh, your privacy rights and the role of our office, so people can look there. So we d- decided to do that to to celebrate uh, uh, Data Privacy Day, and people can see that on our website. Um, you know, Data Privacy Eve is not maybe not quite so much fun as uh, as Tibbs Eve, but it is an occasion for us to uh, to reflect on uh, on on this, which is a uh, these privacy rights are are something that I think people should think about every day because it affects everything that we do. Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey, I do appreciate uh, your time this afternoon. Fascinating conversation. Uh, have a great weekend. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Linda. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. I'm not having a show tomorrow. It's my weekend. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Do join us then. Have a great weekend, all. Thanks for listening.